Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Julia Hart, who took the world by storm in her Netflix hit series, My Unorthodox Life. The show, renewed for season two, challenged assumptions and captivated viewers. And now with Brazen, Julia writes with radical vulnerability and honestly sharing a deeply personal journey of heartbreak, resilience, and the courage to flee a fundamentalist community. We go into her history, how she sort of got the courage to free herself, and how she rebuilt her life. Take a listen. Julia, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So I want to talk about your rise as a fashion designer and entrepreneur, but I think I would be remiss if we didn't start with your miniseries, your book, My Unorthodox Life. Um, And I'd love to touch on what your life was like before and what gave you the courage to say, okay, this is not for me. Great question. Um, You know, I think the easiest way to define my life before uh, is that I lived in a world where your biology defines your destiny. If you were born a woman, that means you had the same role in life that every other woman born before you. Your nature, your personality was irrelevant. As a woman, your purpose and goal in life was to raise righteous children and be obedient to your husband. And with that in mind, so your entire being, whether you know you would want to be a great woman or a terrible one, was all in relation to a man. A great woman was someone who was subservient, obedient, silent, who's who almost the more you could be involved in self-abnegation and basically disappear yourself, the less you stood out, the better of a woman you were. And to the converse, if you were a woman who was outspoken, thoughtful, who wanted to be educated, who had opinions, who was not shy, demure, quiet, or obedient, you were hated by God. That's what I was taught. And so my very nature and what I was told a woman is supposed to be were at constant war with one another. And, you know, it created this feeling of not being comfortable in my own skin uh, to the point where, you know, I, I death seemed easier than leaving because you don't really understand or know what the world outside is like. It seems almost an impossible task to leave because, you know, there's a show on Amazon. Uh, it's called The Man Who Fell to Earth. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen uh, it. No. And it's basically about this man who comes from another planet and he doesn't understand, you know, humanity and how people interact with each other. That's what it's like, you know? People don't imagine, you can't, you almost can't imagine that feeling, that disconnect. I'd never been on a date. I'd never had prom. I didn't go to high school like everyone went to high school. I had no cultural references. I didn't know pop culture. I was walking into a world where I was a zero, where I had no past, no history, no connections. And it was a world really lived 200 years into the future. I lived in a world that was more comparable to 
Bridgerton than the 21st century. Minus the fabulous dresses, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think what drove me, what gave me the strength to actually walk out that door, you know, to me, the beginning and end of my exodus are two very distinct and diverse moments. The first moment is when I acknowledged and gave myself permission to say, this world is not right. It's not that I'm flawed. It's not that why can't I make peace with having to be a silent, subservient person. It's that the system is. Um, And the person who gave me that permission, so to speak, is my daughter, Miriam, because all the questions I had had in my mind, all the inequity that I felt on a daily basis, I thought something was innately, inherently wrong with me that I couldn't make peace with it. And then comes along my daughter, Miriam, who's actually graduating Stanford University this Sunday. And she starts asking all the questions I'd been thinking silently in my mind. She gave them voice and she was five. And, you know, she would ask to play sports or sing at the Passover Seder. And she would be told, no, you know, a man might hear you or a man might see your knees or your elbows and get turned on. And that would cause him to sin. So you can't do X, Y, and Z because a man may sin. And she would look at my husband and she would say, but wait, if I'm responsible for his sins, is he responsible for mine? I mean... When you look at the bravery that it took, you had a kid, and again, you know, from the outside, all we know is what we what we see. You know, there's there's unorthodox the show, the you know, the book that Deborah wrote as well, and you see what could potentially be lost when one leaves. How did you get the fortitude to do it anyways and keep your daughter? Um, and then not only just get out and make it, but then become a hugely successful. <laughs> you know, like the, the, the odds were not just, you know, the wind wasn't just blowing towards you. Like you had an avalanche at your, you know, coming at you. So how did that happen? There, that's okay. That's a really complex question. I think it's really more like two, two questions. It is. Sometimes I ask too many at once. <laughs> it's amazing. It makes it so much more interesting to be interviewed. So thank you. So to answer the first question, it's again, Miriam. So, you know, Deciding that I wanted to leave and actually walking out the, d- the door are two very diverse things. So I decided I wanted to leave when she was around, you know, somewhere between three and five years of age. And I started educating myself and reading books and watching television and trying as much as I could to learn whatever I could about the world outside. And But when I say that, I mean the world outside, like, Just imagine if you want to become a deep sea diver and dive 50 meters, you could watch all the movies about deep sea diving and read all the books about deep sea diving. It does not make you a deep sea diver. Definitely not. (laughs) That's kind of what it was like. I read about it. I watched it, but I had never participated. And those are very diverse things. But what actually got me out the door, you know, um, when I, somewhere between eight and nine years later, where I just couldn't bear to live my life the way it was anymore. I I wanted to kill myself. 
that seemed easier yeah. and less frightening than leaving. And so I spent a good nine months trying to figure out what the best way to commit suicide would be that would leave the least impact on my children. Um, and their chances, of course, of a good shidduch, right? Of a good match, because in that world, that's all that matters. Right. So um, I thought, okay, the best way to do it would be to starve myself to death because then people would just assume I have an eating disorder and they wouldn't even realize that I committed suicide. And suicide is, you know, massively taboo. Eating disorders, not as bad. So I purposefully started starving myself to death. When I left the community, I was 73 pounds. Oh my gosh. 73 pounds. And for, for comparison, because maybe you're 5'1 and 105 pounds, what, what? I'm talking, I was like probably, you know, a good, almost, you know, a good 20 pounds less than I am now. And, as, and I'm not a big person now, you know? Right. Um, and I was really near death's door. I was purposely killing myself by starving to death. And, and I was going down that road and my daughter comes home. And she was hysterically crying. Um, and I, my daughter's like me. We're not big criers. You know, we learn how to be very tough, right? We try. And uh, she was hysterical, genuinely hysterical. And I asked her what was wrong. And she got accused of cheating because her answers were too good. And a girl couldn't write these kind of answers. And because the teacher accused her of cheating, the girls took that opportunity to make fun of her because she was such an unusual kid. She was brilliant. She loved sports. She refused to wear girly shoes. And so basically the teacher had kind of given them permission to denigrate her. And she came home and she just couldn't stop crying. And I packed my bags and walked out the door. And that was it. It wasn't planned. No order or organization. I just, that moment, that second, it hit me that if I die, that doesn't help her. That doesn't solve her problems. And one day she'll be my age and she'll want to die. And so I realized that I couldn't, I couldn't kill myself. I had a responsibility not just to escape, but to take my children with me and to save them as much as I was saving myself. And that's what got me out the door. My kids, I would not be alive today without them. So what were those first days like? Days, weeks, months where you're out in this foreign world, you have how many kids with you? How many kids did you well, live with? Kind of, you know, haphazard in the sense that like I left, but I didn't really leave because my husband and I made a deal that, you know, I wouldn't say that I was getting a divorce or that I was leaving. We would just say that I started a business and I would come back for every Shabbos and every Yontiv and every, you know, holiday. So I was gone, but not really. And so um, I was living two different worlds. I would go outside and do my thing and then go back into that community and make call. And so, um, it was a very slow, gradual process, one kid at a time. 
And um, Miriam, of course, was like, okay, I'm out. Where are we going? <laughs> um, and the others have taken their time in their own way. And, you know, I always say deprogramming yourself, it's not a logical or, you know, there's no real, okay, first you do X and then you do Y. And blah. it doesn't work that way. And so, you know, everyone has to go at their own pace and their own way. So they've, you know, they've come to it slowly. And what my basic, uh, the way that I manage to stay close to them, which is extremely rare in my world, usually when a parent leaves, the children cut them dead and they never get to see their kids again, which is an impossible choice for a mother. You know, women do it because it's that or death, but it's a, it's a torturous choice to be forced to make. And what I did with my kids to prevent that was I didn't argue with them. I didn't try to convince them that this way of life was wrong. All I did, the only thing I did, was show them the outside world. I would invite them on cool trips and to go on vacation with me and to meet people I was working with because extremism and fundamentalism only exists in isolation. And I knew that if I could show them the beauty of the outside world, I wouldn't have to say anything. And that's what happened. Wow. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to give any, any credit where credit's due, but the fact that your ex-husband made that deal with you. Oh, you not, should give him. He's a good man. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. Cause from what I have seen again, as an outsider, like you're, you're cut off and that's it. That's it. I mean, he is an amazing person. And, you know, if you've read my book, I never blamed him for the misery that I was, that was our marriage. He was as much victim as I was. Yeah. He was forced into that role of husband as much as I was forced into the role of wife. Right. And, and he had as little choice in our relationship as I did. Yeah. He was supposed to be my master and commander. Right. So, and and I have to tell you something really beautiful, um, actually, uh, that when the show came out and he got a lot of flack and people in that community, you know, uh, wanted him to denounce me and so forth and so on, you know what he did? What? He left. Wow. He sold his house, took off his black hat. And is no longer a fundamentalist Jew. Wow. That is a good man. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. No. So you he is a very rare person. We're very close. Um, and uh, he's a, you know, we co-parent beautifully. I mean, he's still very, he's religious, but he's religious like modern Orthodox, you know? Right. He's got TVs and, and you know, everything in his house, his new wife, who I adore, you know, wears pants and doesn't cover her hair and went to a real college and has a profession. He lives a 21st century life. Wow. So when you decided to tell this really honest, raw account of your experiences, did it worry you what people within the community would think or the backlash from other, you know, Jewish communities, what would happen? Um, And how did you find the bravery to tell the story? Well, I think, you know, when the show came out, I got really attacked. Um, and it was very painful because I was so careful. I love being Jewish. I think there's so much beauty in Judaism, in all religions, honestly. I think it's when 
things are taken to the extreme, Correct. that things become problematic. And I'm always very careful to say that it has nothing to do with Judaism and that it's purely extremism and fundamentalism. And the proof of that is that you look at any fundamentalist religion, the rules are all the same. Right. They're all the same. Right. Muslim women that I met when I left, Hindu women, Mormon women, any woman who was brought up in the extreme version of their religion, we all suffered the same problems. And those are all beautiful religions. I think all religions have so much beauty in them. It's when they're taken to the extreme that the laws, not the people, not the community, not the religion itself, that the laws become a prison. So it was very hard because the show actually is not about my past. The show is my present informed by my past. So when I wrote the book, I included, uh, if you go on brazenbook.com, you have something called, you can click a button called sources. And in those sources, uh, you can see the proof of every single solitary word I say. Everyone. I give you the source material comes from, like, you know, there was this whole thing, oh, the school she went to is fantastic and it had a great education. Well, now you can go to brazenbook.com, click sources, and you will see a letter written by the principal saying, we don't want our daughters to be going to college. Our daughters are supposed to be wives and mothers, on and on and on. So now it's very hard for someone to call me a liar. Right. <laughs> it's all there in black and white. So I have to tell the truth, whatever. I mean, look, look at my life. You know, I always make noise and I get attacked and vilified and accused of being a liar. It's goodness. It's been my fate since I started this thing. And, you know, I just remind myself, um, there's this incredible woman. I'm going to leave her last name out only because I don't want to embarrass her, <laughs> but, uh, she gave me tickets to this um, incredible show called Suffs. It's about the suffragette movement. And you, you know, we all take our right to vote for granted. Mm -hmm. In, if you think about it, in the early 1920s, women didn't vote. And the women who demanded the vote they weren't just accused of being liars. They weren't just vilified and destroyed in the press. They were jailed. And beaten. And beaten and forced fed and imprisoned. Everything was taken from them. Mm -hmm. Their reputation, their livelihood, everything. And I realized that is the fate of any woman who speaks out and demands equality and change. And if we don't stand up, who will? And so watching that show gave me so much strength and courage because it reminded me that I'm not alone. Yeah. I'm in a long line of women who have made too much noise and annoyed too many men and women. Don't forget, the suffragettes weren't only vilified and attacked by men. There were many women who thought that they were rocking the boat and that a woman's place was in the home and, and they, you know, they were being unfeminine and all of this. So, you know, but what I keep reminding myself is that their daughters thanked them. 
And that's what matters. You know, it's it's ironic that you bring up the voting issue because I do some speaking. And when I tell women, like, you're going to have to stick your neck out. No one's going to fight this fight for you, whatever it is, to get equal pay, to get the promotion, to get equality. Like, the cavalry is not coming for us. And so I'm sorry that it's uncomfortable, but let's let's give some more uncomfortable examples that have happened in history that are far worse than what you're facing. And Exactly. I think putting it in that perspective uh, sometimes makes you be like, what am I being a pussy about, you know? That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, why do I do this to myself? Why do I just shut up? And, <laughs> you, know, you know, I just make friends wherever I go. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's healthy if you're pissing off people every once in a while. My my husband says I get so much joy out of sticking it to the man. And I'm like, you know, I do. You know, I just, I, I don't want to sit back and take it. I, I've learned to be as proud of my enemies as I am of my enemies. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you have this incredible book, you have this Netflix show. How do you go from, again, getting not the education you deserved, um, again, to the outside world and becoming a very successful CEO and entrepreneur? And, and how did you get taken seriously in the beginning when people said, well, you don't, you don't have the background, the education? How did Even now, it's so easy to attack me and to, you know, demolish my reputation because I didn't come from that pedigree. I didn't have a fancy education. I didn't have previous, oh, she worked for so-and-so and nothing. It's still easy to, you know, demonize me and make me into a terrible person because of my lack of education, my lack of past and history. And I think I'm still suffering from the effects of not having that education, not having that pedigree, not being able to say, oh, well, I went to this and this place and then I did X, Y, and Z. It's still so easy 
to denigrate me and to demolish my reputation because I don't have that past. I don't have hundreds of people who've known me for 30 years, you know? It's always going to be a disadvantage. Maybe when I'm 90 and I've had 60 years of, you know, uh, accomplishing great things, maybe then I won't have that issue. But the reality is I don't care. I don't see what is. I don't follow uh, the wisdom, the accepted wisdom of today. I've had my neck up to my neck's worth in we know better and this is the way it's done. That's what I've escaped. So when I came into the fashion industry, my ignorance was almost a gift in the sense that I didn't know how things were done. So I went and thought how things should be done, how they could be done. And I didn't even imagine the impediments that stood in my way because I'd never heard of marketing and merchandising and PR. I didn't realize how absurd my plan was because, hey, I had just time traveled 200 years. And so I figured if I can time travel 200 years into the future and still survive a shoe company, sure, why not? (laughs) But there's, within that, there's still you believing it but someone on the other side of the table saying, well, she's never been a CEO or she's never been a designer. So what did you do to get them to change their minds? You know, um, there is this woman, uh, Gertrude Stein, who is known as kind of like the mother of impressionist art because uh, when the Academy de Beaux-Arts in Paris would not allow the impressionists to put their art in the Academy, because the Impressionists had broken the rule. They had gone against the common, you know, understanding of what art and painting should look like. And so her brother, when asked, what is people's reaction to Impressionist art when they see it for the first time in your apartment? He said, they come to mock, but they stay to pray. And that's how it's been. Everyone makes fun of me until the things that I do make, they work. Right. That's it. And I'm still there. You know, when in 2019, I started doing metaverse and avatars and everybody rolled their eyes at me and told me that I'm being crazy and that it's never going to happen. And all of a sudden, here we are in 2022 and I created the most hyper-realistic avatars there are. And now no one's laughing anymore. Oh, no. Everyone's trying to jump in. That's it. Now, all of a sudden, you know, everybody's at Metaverse and Avatars. I started in 2019, and I was literally told, Julia, don't talk about it. You sound like a crazy person. So everyone thinks I'm crazy until my ideas work. What would you say to women who still find that they're paralyzed by fear or taking a step or taking a risk? How would you get them out of that stuck I always, to me, you know, people say, oh, you're fearless. That's not true. I am not fearless. I have so much fear. I do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. I think, you know, people are, you know, um, when my son was deciding whether he wanted to stay religious or not, you know, the thing that he had the biggest issue with? not knowing all the answers because religion says we have all the answers. Right. 
This happens for this reason. This is this. This is that. Everything has an explanation. Everything has an answer. And it's comfortable and it's comforting. When tragedy happens, your rabbi or your imam or whoever is your religious leader tells you, oh, it's for this reason. When Hurricane Sandy happened, we women in my community were told Hurricane Sandy occurred because we were not modest enough and we were leading men to sin and therefore God brought Hurricane Sandy. Oh my goodness. Yes, if you can imagine such a thing. But on (laughs) on the flip side, it gives an explanation for every tragedy. And so my son said to me, how do you live not knowing? And I said to him, I said, Shlomo, that not knowing, that fear, that's the exciting part. Not knowing means you get to ask questions. Not having the answers means you can investigate, invent, create, change. Not knowing is the greatest thing there is. And that to me is what I would say to any person that has fear. That's okay. Don't wait for the day when you're not afraid. It's okay to be afraid. But use that fear to drive yourself. Use that fear to fuel your mission. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Get excited by the unknown. And that's why I think I wrote all my mistakes. I wrote all my messes. Because I want people to know, you are going to make mistakes. You're going to have sleepless nights. You're going to be scared out of your mind. You're going to not be able to breathe because you don't know what the next day will bring. And that's okay. Let that fear guide you and drive you instead of stopping you. I need to know the source of your endless optimism (laughs) (laughs) and ability to bounce back because it's incredible and you have so much to be so proud for and and the challenges you've overcome and, and the change you're making for others who might be stuck in situations like yours or similar, uh, is pretty incredible. I'm curious to know if you've met other women who, you know, said that you've changed their lives or you enabled them to get out and break free. So I've started collecting messages from women and people all over the world um, that I've been sent since the show began and even more so now with the book. I think we're over 70,000 messages. Wow. Um, And some of them are the most extraordinary stories. Um, Every time I think about it, I... I get a bit emotional. Uh, I've had women, sorry, give me a second. Um, No, it's okay. I've had women, two women, who sent me messages telling me that they were, both of them, I mean, they don't know each other, obviously, but two women who had planned on committing suicide, who chose life after reading my book and seeing the show. Uh, I've had women who've told me that they've left abusive marriages, that they've started businesses, that they've uh, left whatever situation was hampering them and holding them back. Tens of thousands of people from all over the world. And that's what keeps me going, is the knowledge that, you know, it's, that's what it's all about. I was at this fashion event 
And this incredibly beautiful woman, perfectly attired, fabulously coiffed with magnificent jewelry, comes over to me, a total stranger, bursts out crying and just hugs me. And she takes me over to a corner of the room and she pulls down her, um, the top she was wearing and her back was covered in cigarette butt burns. And she tells me that my story gave her the courage to leave a 20 year abusive relationship. Wow. And that's what it's about, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah. The courage that other people can inspire sometimes in others is is uh, an incredible life's mission. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's like what stuff that, it's what that show did for me when I needed it most. When I needed that shot in the arm, I needed to be reminded that I'm not the only woman that a man has tried to take everything from and destroy. You know, it's the, it's, it's the nature of the beast. And right. it reminded me that a story can change the world. Yeah. A story can give us courage and hope and faith and determination. A story is everything. Well, I think the sad part about about this or what it does in having, you know, grown up reformed Judaism, uh, it had a very important place in my cultural upbringing and perspective. But to see that, you know, God would never make women less. God would never make us unequal. And so that these women are experiencing this, not not in just Judaism, but in, like you said, these other fringe, uh, you know, more more closed off religions is a shame because God probably, you know, he made Mother Earth. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. it's, it's a shame that, that it's being interpreted that way uh, and used against us. Yeah, because you think about it, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, all the, I'm sorry, I'm sure there's hundreds of religions I'm not naming. They're all beautiful. Yeah. We all have moralistic concepts, kindness, charity, community, respect, appreciation, gratitude. These are beautiful concepts. But it's when they're taken to the extreme, when a woman is told that her purpose in life is to be subservient to a man. Can you actually believe that that's godly? Come on. Come on. Right. I mean, that's just ludicrous. You're going to tell me that's not written by men? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> I, I, yeah, exactly. I don't know about that. Um, so what's next for you? Where Where do you go from here? What are you working on? And, and what gets you excited about the future? I'm working on, you know, getting back the company that I built and going to the future. I've got a, a shapewear brand that's coming out at the end of the year. I've started writing book two, um, and then I've got a few other surprises up my sleeve that, you know, hopefully I'll get to tell you about very soon. Okay. So this begs the question, what do you do to refuel? You have so much going on and so many projects. What, what re-energizes you? You know, I wasn't allowed to work for so many years of my life to do what I wanted to do to show what I was capable of, that now it it drives me. It fuels me because I have this mission in my mind that's ever-present. It's the first thing I think of when I wake up. It's the last thing that's in my head when I go to sleep. I want an army of us, 
I want an army of superwomen. I want an army of financially independent women who don't have to ask permission, who don't wait their turn, who men cannot decimate and destroy because they wear fancy suits and have nice pedigrees and the old boys club. And I'm never going to stop until I accomplish it. I just won't. I love it. So my last two questions that I ask all my guests, um, what would we be surprised to know about you? And what is one piece of advice you'd like to pass on either that you learned or someone gave to you that you feel actually was good advice? Sometimes people give terrible. So I like to, I like to just end with the, the good ones. So uh, for the first question, what people, you know, I, I, I'm going to say it, no one's going to believe me anyway, is I'm a pretty private person. It's really difficult doing what I'm doing. You know, I wake up in cold sweats all the time. <laughs> being like, what the hell? Because my, you know, even though I'm very, you know, direct and open, I'm not shy at all, but I am very private. I would probably not even have an Instagram if it wasn't important for my mission. So being in a reality show, writing a book where I describe the most minute personal details of my life, that is really against my nature and horribly uncomfortable for me. But I do it anyway, because to me, you want to change the world, you got to make a lot of noise. It's the only way you know how to do it. I love it. Um, and advice that I would give to someone, and people are going to think it sounds really funny, but I'm telling you, I promise you it works. Talk to yourself out loud. You need to hear yourself because we have so many voices all day, every day from the time we're old enough to understand language that tell us we can't and we're small and wait your turn and be polite and well-behaved. Your voice has to be louder than theirs. Don't care if you feel silly, go into your bathroom and talk to yourself. Your voice needs to drown out all those other voices. Oh, I think that's such a great piece of advice. Um, my husband would be happy to hear you say that because he talks to himself all the time. And I'm like, who are you talking to? Like, is it just yourself? Is there someone on the other end of this line here? And he keeps saying, my mother runs strong. So, um, so where can people buy your book and to obviously uh, – tune in to the series. So please follow me on Instagram at Julia Hart and they can buy the book anywhere. Books are sold, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Apple, you name it, they're there. Um, please peruse brazenbook.com. Click that sources button. You will be fascinated by more of what I couldn't put in the book just because otherwise it would be 900 pages instead of 400 pages. And, um, and, you know, go write your own story. Get up today and go for it. I love it. Well, thank you for being such an incredible leader and guiding light in this journey and, and sharing it with us. Thank you so much. It's been a true honor, I have to say, not just a pleasure, but a true honor to be here with you. I think you're an extraordinary example for women. We need an army. You we know, need an army. We need an army. We need an army. Agreed. Amen to that. 
I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.